0: Welcome to the World Soccer Talk Podcast. I am Christopher Harris, the gaffer, and I'm joined here by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. What a week. Uh, I'm surprised you're doing well after this, uh, this past what, seven to ten days with the U.S. Well, it's a
1: pejorative state. <laughs> <doing>. It's <laughs> so we'll, been about as difficult a week in, in, uh, in the United States as we've had in a long time.
0: It's been rough. It's been real rough. But we've got some positive things to talk about in this show, as well as some analysis. Uh, Lots of things to look forward to uh, talking about the USA, but also talking about Premier League coverage, uh, the latest soccer news. Uh, Essentially, this podcast is a show that talks about watching soccer on TV, online and on apps. And I think most of our audience uh, already does that. uh, But we're just trying to basically kind of bring some light into the conversation, but also talk to you about different ways you can watch these matches. Uh, also, by the way, it, this is our 11-year anniversary of the World Soccer Talk, uh, the website. Uh, this month, it's been a long and winding road, uh, but it's been it's been a rewarding uh, journey, and I appreciate everyone's uh, support over these 11 years for keeping us uh, live and independent uh, for over a decade. Gosh, it's been that long, Kartik.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's been it's been in fact. This month is my 10-year anniversary, I believe, of being with the site, November 2006, right after the 2006 election, which felt very different for some of my political persuasion than the 2016 election did, uh, 2006 congressional elections. The Democrats captured both houses of Congress, and I started writing for what was then EPL Talk, and then we had a bunch of sister sites, for those of you who haven't been with us for uh, that, that period of time, and, that, and then we merged them all to World Soccer Talk several years ago. Yeah, times have changed both on the pl- politics side and and on the soccer side. So th- let's
0: start off by talking about what we've been watching this past week uh, for y- for you. Kar- well, for me, Kartik, it- it's been a lot of international football. Um, I'm not as big of an international football fan as I am a club soccer fan. Uh, I watched the England against Scotland game. Enjoyed that. Um, watched the the two USA games, and I think I watched maybe one or two other matches across whether it was uh, ESPN or Fox, etc. Um, for the most part, um, I don't know. International soccer just doesn't do it for me. A lot of it is not as exciting. But let's talk about the. Uh, let start off talking about the USA against Mexico match that was on Fox Sports One this past uh, Friday, and um, just some observations from what I saw in terms of uh, the coverage. The, the the funny thing about Fox Sports was well, not funny, but but the, the bar is set so low with Fox Sports that uh, even if they do a pretty good job. That's a positive for them. So going into the match, uh, going into the coverage, I had really kind of no expectations in terms of uh, what it was going to be other than maybe let's just hope that they do a, a decent job. Uh, John Strong, Stu Holden, as far as commentators, uh, they finally kind of nailed that down as far as a really strong uh, commentator squad. Uh, but it's usually the analysis, the pre, pre-match, halftime, post-match analysis that, uh, that's weak. Um, surprisingly, I thought that they did pretty well across the board. They had um, a studio set uh, outside the stadium for the pre-match, and then they had the studio set inside uh, like that. Uh, they had the Goodyear blimp for some shots, uh, which I thought was incredible, especially, I think, the the, uh, the Bobby Wood goal, I think it was. They had a really great uh, angle on that. Um, some of the negatives, I mean, starting off the show... Uh, I, I hate when politics and soccer are combined, but Fox started off the show by going heavy on politics. And rather than talking about soccer and about USA and Mexico and the, the rivalry and all, all the great matches in the past or w- what this match meant, they just started off off the bat by talking about politics and about uh, how the election uh, is kind of... They were talking in vagaries. They were kind of saying, okay, well, here's the election has happened and uh, here's the political uh, situation that we're in with USA and Mexico. And I, I just thought, personally speaking... They didn't even need to talk about it. It uh, had no relevance uh, for that night, um, and there was nothing happened in the match, politically speaking. So to me, it was just kind of a – seemed to be, to be a grab. They were just trying to grab the, the, the viewer, pull them in, maybe a mainstream person, pull them in to, like, ah, oh, this is not just a soccer match. This is a political thing. What, what do you think, Artica, on that? Do you agree or disagree? Well,
1: I, I disagree slightly because I think there was a lot of fear before the match that USA-Mexico because of the election result was going to turn into some sort of political uh, po- political uh, showdown. A lot of Mexican-American fans who go to, who've gone to Columbus to support the uh, Mexican national team, to support El Tri, maybe feeling aggrieved about the election results because Donald Trump had been elected. And uh, a number of US fans and even some journalists who cover the United States telling me that they uh, were feeling a little bit down and a little bit guilty playing Mexico under this circumstance uh, three days after an election, an election which uh, uh, divided the country on several lines, one of which was the issue of immigration from Mexico. So that, uh, I, I think it was, it, it, it needed to be brought up, but Fox didn't necessarily bring it up that way. Fox brought it up in kind of a, a different way just to kind of uh, ride off the election hype. And from that standpoint, it wasn't necessary.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I understand the circumstances in terms of uh, the change and everything going on in terms of uh, immigration. I just just thought it was kind of just bad form on Fox's part to start off with that and and, and then hand it over to Hercules Gomez, who just did his best job to try to answer the question. But um, I don't know. It it just felt weird. It was a weird way to start the the actual broadcast. Um, The other thing in the post—oh, actually, the pre-match coverage was—and this drove me nuts— was Lalas, Alexey Lalas, uh, our dear uh, friend, or an al- the analyst there, asking the question uh, to the panel, is uh, Pulisic uh, the messiah? I'm like, come on, <laughs> Lalas. I mean, just by asking the question, yes, he's a fantastic, gifted player, and we saw, especially in the Costa Rica match, just, you mean, how much, of a, uh, how much he stands out from from the crowd. But asking if he's the messiah, I mean, he's still young, relatively speaking, um, but I don't know. To, to me, that's just just, just just silly, asking a question like that. I mean, yes, is he gifted? Yes. But is he the Messiah? I mean, come on.
1: Yeah. So, uh, it was it was overhype again.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing with, with Fox that just drives me nuts, nuts is just that uh, a lot of the rah-rah USA, just, just over the top, just very kind of just, um, I don't know, just obnoxious at times. And and so we went from the Rara USA coverage from Fox, and then we switched to the critical analysis of, uh, of the U.S. team on being in sports on Tuesday night for the match uh, with, against Costa Rica and, and talk about extreme opposites. Um, while Fox has built their coverage really on being an overly positive on the U.S. team, uh, really kind of banking on the U.S. team, both the men's and women's team uh, doing well. Uh, being in sports has been more critical, and critical, I mean, as far as analysis goes. Uh, they still support the U.S., of course. But uh, having Thomas Rangan, uh, who has been a critic of Klinsman for years now, uh, as co-commentator, w- was interesting. I mean, he opened up and criticized the U.S. team for having a lack of DNA uh, when it comes to a playing style. And we saw that in the match. Um, so I thought his analysis was spot on. Um, it was probably Klinsman's like, worst nightmare to have Rongen on the broadcast, in terms of pointing out just blatantly, just I, mean, I think we all saw it too, but having say it, uh, see it and say it was uh, some great clarity. And uh, I think in a Fox broadcast, that might not have been as critically negative, um, but uh, I, I, think, I think to me at least, uh, Rongan did a great job, and I thought his analysis was, was refreshing, uh, and bottom line, I loved it.
1: Yeah, in the interest of full disclosure, I think uh, both of us know Thomas Rongen quite well, a uh, fellow South Florida resident, uh, a guy I work with on worked with on a number of things, and uh, he's one of the people who convinced me a while ago that Jurgen Klinsmann was wrong for this job. I had initially been a rah-rah cheerleader, this is great, we're getting this really sophisticated soccer mind, this guy who can develop a playing style for the United States and, 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 and give the program some direction, S- uh, two, three years ago, two years ago more or less, Rongen really convinced me otherwise and he made the same points and his points have all been uh poignant through this period of time when the u.s has hit hit, uh, a pretty severe decline since 2014 the last two and a half years uh, as we wrap up 2016 now and he gave those points very well on the air very good analysis it was the perfect game for him to be the co-commentator for phil shane uh, has a sense of history a sense of um of knowledge of, of the history of the United States and, and perspective as to where this set of players fits with previous sets of players, et cetera. We have so many new fans of U.S. soccer, so many new people who've come to the sport in the last few years. They don't have that that context. And in fact, when we used to, we talked about this being an anniversary for the website. When we used to do podcasts uh, where we interviewed subjects, I, I would bring Phil Shane on every, every what, Uh, six months to a year, Chris, as you remember, because he could give some perspective on where the U.S. national team was in 2009 versus 1992 or uh, 2011 versus uh, 1995 and and now 2016 versus the 1950s and 1960s which is what that performance looked like so i thought that was good Uh, just going back to the mexico game real quickly i think uh, john strong was very very good he covered a lot of the gaps that were left by Stu holden who was the co-commentator who has um who has a good ability to analyze specific um specific actions in a match but doesn't necessarily give all of the perspective you want so john strong i think he, he's outstanding and he's getting better and better as time goes on but in a lot of cases he was giving even some perspective that you wouldn't get from ian dark or adrian healy on espn or, or john champion calling these uh international games or these u.s games so i've I enjoyed john strong a great deal I, I generally do i don't enjoy the rest of fox's coverage but that's uh something they'll have to continue to work on
0: yeah, that's the thing about John Strong too. That uh, is such a pleasure and refreshing. Is that is that the the commentator analysis is is not a topic of discussion. I mean, it's one of those things where about both you and I agree that John Strong is, is um, the best, if not if not uh, the best in the United States, number one or number two, depending on on how you see it. As far as a U.S. commentator, um, and he's consistent. I mean, it's pretty rare that he'll make a flub, or pretty rare that. Uh, he'll say something awkward or, or, or strange. But, um, yeah, no, fantastic job. And I, and I think Phil Shane, too, as far as in the Costa Rica game, uh, Phil did a great job, I think, of kind of asking some uh, open-ended questions and then letting Thomas kind of uh, share his philosophy or share his thoughts on, on how the U.S. was doing. Um, I, th- I think Phil, for a certain point, is kind of almost like devil's advocate, just asking the questions. And uh, I thought the, the chemistry was good there between the two of them. Narcotic um, pre-match coverage. I mean, from being Sports, uh, we talked about Fox with uh, the Mexico game, and I, I thought they did a decent job. Uh, being Sports had uh, Christopher Sullivan uh, and some of the talent there in in um, in Costa Rica, and then and actually even three hours before the game kicked off, they had like live uh, stadium coverage. Uh, Christopher Sullivan and, and the team there kind of sharing their thoughts. So I thought that was good, and um, it was. Uh, it was a match that. Um, well, actually, let me ask you this, Kartik. I mean, Kartik, on I think on Twitter you posted a question, and I, I wanted to get get your thoughts on uh, on this too, as far as the question whether or not Bean Sports or Fox Sports did the better job of the coverage of uh, U.S. Mexico or, or versus uh, your, your Costa Rica, U.S.
1: Oh, I thought Bean did a much better job. I, I liked having obviously uh, Julian Gonzalez, Christopher Sullivan, and their team down on uh, on the pitch. Uh, Hours before the match, I will concede, though. However, they were calling the game Thomas Rongan and Phil Shane out of the studio in Miami, whereas you had um, you had uh, John Strong and Stu Holden at the game in Columbus. I, I do think, though, that um, there is just a seriousness and a breadth of experience and and, and if you like analytical coverage of-, of this sport and tactical coverage of the sport that you you just don't get from Fox ever, mm-hmm. it-, it seems and. They, they, they certainly didn't give that. I think had the U.S. come out in a three-five-two, and then had to have to make the shift on the fly. And let's say it had been an ESPN game with uh, Ian Dark and Taylor Twelman uh, calling the game, and Bob Lee there, and, and whoever else of ESPN FC team, maybe uh, even a Craig Burley or, or Ali Moreno, uh, they, there would have been a certain slaying of Klinsman and the national team in the pregame show and in the lead up to the match and in the first 20 or 25 minutes that you just didn't get on Fox there would have been a certain Mm -hmm. analysis and and I I hate to hearken back to this because I I, I talked about it last week and maybe it's my own personal preference but I am so used to having the U.S. Mexico game on ESPN it was just strange and it just didn't fit for me Uh, but um, they they, again John Strong did very well uh, but I still prefer coverage.
0: Yeah, for for me, I, I actually, I'd say it's a draw. Uh, I think Fox did a, a good job, better than I expected. Um, same thing with BN, too. I think BN did a better job. I I was surprised, actually, to have uh, Thomas Rongan in the co-commentating co-commenta- spot. I thought it would be Ray Hudson. Uh, Ray did the earlier game between uh, Chile and uh, Uruguay. And actually, that, that match was, was a great match to watch, and, and Ray Hudson was on top form. Well, well I think,
1: uh, give Ian props for that. We, now that they have Thomas Rongen there, uh, if it's a U.S. Uh, match or U.S. coverage, it should always be Rongen. He's worked in mm-hmm. uh, U.S. soccer longer than anyone uh, that, uh, really anyone at any of the networks, quite, quite honestly, at different levels. Right.
0: Yeah, the one thing that disappointed me, or another thing that disappointed me with the Fox Sports coverage was uh, pre-match. I, I, actually, I'm sorry, post-match. So the game ends. I mean, it's a devastating blow to to the U.S. and U.S. fans, myself included, um, lose the match. And then within five minutes, basically, they're saying, okay, all right, we're, we're now leaving. And post-match uh, coverage is on Fox Sports 2. I think they had NASCAR or something like that on FS1 right after that one. And to me, that just spoils the momentum. I think, I think probably most people didn't want to watch the post-match coverage just because there was uh, – it's, uh, it could be a bit depressing in terms of just after that result, but uh, just kind of it was awkward to kind of switch channels. I mean, FS2, not everyone gets. Um, I'm not sure if, if you if you watched on the BN Sports side, Karthik, if um, the post-match analysis, I think
1: Kevin, Kevin Egan was there doing that on the BN Sports side. Yes. Yeah, and Kevin Egan's another guy that, that's worked in US soccer, well, worked in MLS and, and and knows uh knows the the side pretty well and knows how uh the trains run. So I thought he did pretty well. I do think in terms of Fox's um presentation and production of US Mexico, I should say I thought it was it was better than I'd expected. And again, maybe it's because the bar is so low. And John Strong covers a lot of holes and a lot of gaps in their in-game coverage I I would say actually in-game coverage uh, Fox was as good as being if not better I think it was the bumper programming and and the build-up and again you have a a change in formation you have a radical uh, departure from uh, what uh, the U.S. has done I think the kind of perspective you would have had and and again I said this last week and this is this is not a shot at Fox there is only one Taylor Twelman and he doesn't work for them Mm -hmm. so he gives a a level of analysis and a level of uh, of critical thought uh, as to how the U.S. national team proceeds and, and how they – and MLS and everything else, for that matter, that that the guys on Fox just aren't capable of, quite right. frankly. And it's, a, it's not a shot at them. It's a, there's only one guy who provides that. Yeah. And that guy doesn't work for VN either or for NBC. He works for ESPN. So that's um, that was missing. I mean, I, I, I much prefer having Taylor Twelman on these games. I have to just admit that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree too. I mean, mean, Stu Holden, I got a lot of time for. I think he's uh, he's improved uh, greatly uh, just in the last twelve months. I think he's doing a great job and he's uh, really stepping up. Um, But it's a big distance between him and (laughs) Twelman.
1: Do you think it would have been a good idea for Fox? The LA Galaxy just got eliminated on Sunday, the previous Sunday, by um, by Colorado. Would it have been a good decision for them to try and talk to Landon Donovan and see if he could he could be brought up to speed and prep uh, for this broadcast? Uh, he, he was very good during Copa America.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think Landon's great. I mean, I mean, Landon. I mean, to, to me, the dream, the dream team is uh, JP and Landon. I really, really, really enjoyed the coverage uh, during the, the Copa America. Um, Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, maybe it was one of those things that um, maybe he wasn't available or maybe he wasn't in the right frame of mind right now. But uh, yeah, I think that would have been a huge hit. I mean, to actually pull him in and uh, especially Landon Donovan to give perspective on not just the US team, but also playing against Mexico. Um, a lot more experienced than Steve and, Holden. And I, think,
1: and I think he could talk about playing in that formation, although when I think about it, Bruce Arena played the 3-5-2 and Landon Donovan was not in that team. Uh, Brian McBride was, and Brian McBride's no longer with Fox, and then McBride got hurt in the game against Mexico where the U.S. came out in the 3-5-2. But that, um, uh, there, there needed to be some perspective on the formation, and I, I know Fox covered it. It's not that they didn't yeah. cover it. It's just that they didn't have the depth of – uh, of discussion of how that kind of might have thrown the U.S. players off. And, and you saw um, the situation and then uh, uh, with, with how it played out and how the players reacted and how the players didn't embrace that formation.
0: Yeah, I think with Landon Donovan, it's more contractual right now. Because from what we reported a few months ago, uh, he's not under contract with Fox. And uh, it sounds like he's possibly thinking about maybe a move to ESPN too. So he might be stuck at, between the two trying to figure out, okay, in terms of contract offers. Uh so that maybe the timing wasn't right in terms of uh trying to get him on board. But uh hopefully hopefully maybe Fox picks him up for the Confederations Cup uh next year and, and then uh going into the World Cup coverage. I think um Landon Donovan would be great. Stu Holden's fantastic too, uh you got JP, uh John Strong of course, and then probably uh a whole bunch of new hires that they'll bring in for some of the World Cup coverage and Confederation's Cup, etc. Now, Kartik, let's, let's move on to the second segment of the show, and that's the TV streaming news. Uh, let's have you start off uh, with the latest uh, news that's going on around the world.
1: Yeah, so uh, the I think the most significant thing that happened this week is that British fans will not be able to watch live coverage of El Clasico, and that's... Um, Wow, that, that, you know, El Clasico is the one game in, in the UK that kind of transcends their whole uh, fixation with their own domestic league, or at least in, in the media and among a lot of fans. And I know a lot of fans uh, would prefer watching El Classico than any sort of random Premier League game. They are not going to be able to watch live coverage legally. <laughs> yeah. Get, but, it's crazy. It, bring that up. Because yeah. Because I think there's going to be a lot of illegal streams set up in the UK. In fact, I can guarantee it.
0: Yeah, and the reason for this too, it sounds crazy, but it is actually true. So, between 3 p.m. and 5.15 uh, UK time, so between the, the times of the traditional kickoffs in the Premier League and in the Football League and uh, all, all the kind of non league games, uh, at least traditional, that, that there's no TV coverage. And the reason for that is um, that they try to encourage fans and supporters to, to go to the local grounds to watch uh, football matches and that the TV coverage would not take away then from um, attendance. The,
1: the, this is important for fans in the U.S. who don't know this, okay? Um, we get all of these 10 a.m. Eastern time games, which are 3 p.m. U.K. time kickoffs in the United States. If you have NBCSN and you have the package that comes with NBCSN, you get every single... 10 a.m. slash 3 p.m. kickoff. In the U.K., nobody sees any of those games. Those games are not broadcast live. And so basically because there's, they want to encourage fans to go to the ground, especially fans of lower league teams, there is no football on in that window. And for whatever reason, El Clasico this time was scheduled in that window. I'm not quite sure why because El Clasico is usually later. It's usually played uh, in the evening of slash uh, night Spanish time and instead uh this time it's being played in the afternoon yeah
0: and and the reason is it's uh asia because they what they're, they're trying right. to do right. is uh have the match played uh basically prime time in asia in china especially so i think i so that's like what a uh, i think it's going to be a ten fifteen eastern uh kickoff time so seven fifteen pacific um and then uh three fifteen u k time but approximately, depending on where you are in China and Asia, that's going to be like a 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock a game uh, nighttime, which is p- perfect for the Asian audience. And that, and that's really kind of a, almost like a cash grab, really, from, from uh, La Liga and Real Madrid and Barcelona trying to to uh, make some inroads there.
1: Although, in fairness, this is just a decade late for them because the Premier League started uh, these 12.45, now 12.30 p.m. British time, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs, largely to... To appeal to the Asian market, and it worked, and that's why you you would often see these really big games kicked off at that time, which is very early. It's four forty-five or four thirty now on the east on the west coast of the United States, but it was done specifically for the Asian market, and it would generally feature two top teams. And then I think as time went on, it became. A, and also a good thing to curb any kind of fan over enthusiasm because you didn't have as much time to drink and that sort right. of thing to create some of those conflicts that we know happen in, in English football. But the initial reason they did it was to appeal to the Asian market.
0: Yeah, but but actually with, with El Clasico and, and the UK markets, I mean, to me, it's just an example of how primitive this uh, policy is. I mean, yes, I understand it from a UK perspective, trying to make sure that uh, to minimize or to maximize attendances. Um, but this is something that I, I don't think when when the FA rule, which is a rule, uh, was put into place I mean, probably decades ago now, uh, that they were thinking ahead, into to 2016 with um, TV and streaming coverage and watching, you mean Spanish football of of all things back back then. Um, it just seems a bit archaic, and, and you know that I mean most people are going to watch the, want to watch this live. Uh, I think most people that are a- staying at home in the UK. Will be trying to find streams or tr- trying to use VPN or, or some ways of watching this match. They're not going to wait till what I think at 5:15 UK time to watch the match uh, on replay, basically on delay.
1: Right, uh, right. Especially,
0: especially with social media. I mean, there's no way that they can stay away from watching this match. So it's just, it just seems really strange from the, the UK perspective. So Kartik, the the next news item is uh, DirecTV Now, and we talked we talked about this last week. It's their new streaming service. It's supposed uh, to launch uh, in November. Um, they've re- some, some details have leaked out, and that's in regards to the channels. So it's still early, and it still could change. And I'm sure they're still trying to do their deals. But Drought TV now, the streaming package, uh, is going to include Fox uh, and also uh, NBC uh, Sports Network, so NBCSN. So that's great for soccer fans. What it doesn't include as of this moment, I believe, is ESPN. So you're kind of missing the uh, – and actually, I don't, think it, I don't think it includes being sports at this moment too. Again, that could change, but that's the latest that we have. And um, as soon as we get more details about T V now and uh, what it's going to offer soccer fans, uh, we'll post that on WillSoccerTalk.com. Yeah, so also this week,
1: Chris, we've – gotten the new TV numbers for quarter three, uh, which is the quarter that runs July, August, September, and uh, 486,000, so that's close to half a million TV subscribers have cut the cord, and that's just – An incredible number. So if you prorate that over the course of one year, that's close to 2 million. That's uh, 1.8 million or so. And then you think about that over the course of, let's say, a three or four year period, which these packages for soccer leagues and soccer entities are negotiated with cable companies, you're looking at uh, 5 million, 6 million subscribers. Now, again, may, maybe it's not going to continue at that rate, but that just tells you the difficulty right now uh, for the networks and for the entities that they're negotiating with, uh, the soccer leagues, soccer properties, uh, international federations, et cetera, uh, to deal with this. It, it's uh, it, it's accelerating as time moves on, and, and we're seeing uh, the, the top-end channels the ESPNs, the ESPN2s, the the FS1s, the NBCSNs being – less and less attractive, actually, as as options, as these numbers continue to accelerate, the, the cord cutting continues to accelerate. It's almost becoming a cultural thing now, and I have mm-hmm. to say, there's there's almost a badge of honor when I talk to millennials, and I talk to a lot of millennials during the, the, the recent political campaign that ended, when they'll, they'll say, oh, I'm a cord cutter. I'll, I'll ask them, well, what about uh, the coverage on CNN or MSNBC? Oh, I cut the cord. Oh, how can I find the U.S. game? Well, it's on FS1. You need to have cable. Oh, I'll just use my mother's cable, cable information right, right. to watch the game right so uh i think it's it's an accelerating thing and it's cultural i I think obviously it's first and foremost economic but i think it's also cultural and i don't see these numbers uh i don't see this trend stopping anytime soon
0: yeah i I agree and it's something i think for the tv networks i mean espn especially has got to be really really concerned about um i believe it was a year ago too i think in, in the third quarter the number was similar too, so I think about over a year ago it was roughly half a million um, subscribers were lost uh, ac- across cable. The, the other interesting thing, Kartik, is that uh, it wasn 't that long ago when there were uh, cable TV in the United States was in over one hundred million homes. It is now at eighty eight million homes, so that number has i mean month by month, quarter by quarter year by year been significantly decreasing. And the way that it's heading, it's going to just keep on keep on decreasing. Partly, like you said, economic reasons. People are just kind of, uh, times are tough. People are looking to to save money, cut back here and there. Uh, there's also the accessibility. I mean, making it easier to, to watch these matches. I think we're all as busy as we've ever been. So we're watching games at a kid's soccer practice or on the go in college, whatever it may be. So we're using mobile devices more. Uh, so TV becomes less, less of a uh, priority then. Um, and and just technology, I think just technology—the way that things are improving with um, PlayStation View and Sling and uh, Direct TV now coming out in, in the future—it's it's, uh, it's uh, things are heading that way. And, uh, and and that's that's one of the great things about this podcast too is that we uh, will will keep you updated as things change and as things change on the TV side and also on the streaming side. And then Kartik, uh, the last piece of news is that uh, speaking of uh, streaming is Google it, uh, has made an announcement. And actually, this is one that came out a few weeks ago. I missed it, uh, but found it, uh, I think, on social media someplace, is that Google is coming out with their, their own streaming service. Um, there's very little details about it right now. It's it, Right now, it's, it's kind of a leaked rumor. But it looks like it's going to be a YouTube streaming service. Uh, we're not sure if it's going to be branded YouTube or Google yet. But it's going to be a standalone streaming package. Uh, and it's going to offer, so far... The big one is CBS, which hopefully then, too, that means maybe CBS Sports Network can finally have a, a streaming provider where people can watch matches, the NSL f- uh, final, et cetera, uh, on that platform. But uh, we've already got Sling, we've already got PlayStation View, so uh, that's what Sony, uh, Dish, and we've got uh, DirecTV Now, and Hulu we talked about last week, too, and now it looks like Google is going to be entering the frame sometime probably in 2017,
1: yeah, I missed the NASL uh, final, actually, because uh, there was no streaming platform. I, I actually kind of forgot about the game, to be honest with you. There was so much else going on post-Mexico, post-election, post-US-Mexico, post-election. And uh, not being – you know, mentally, we're in this frame of mind during uh, international breaks. And there was no club soccer on, so I forgot about it. But had it been streaming – uh, had CBS Sports Network had a better uh, streaming partner or streaming component, uh, chances are I would I would have remembered the game and watched it. Um, yeah. it it's just the lack of accessibility, and there's been a. This is where um, again, this goes back to the last news topic. There's been a lot of complaints among fans of the U.S. lower leagues about the championship games in both those leagues. So the USL opted to put their championship game on espnu which then streams on espn3 and that's less accessible than youtube which is where usl streams all their regular season games Mm -hmm. the nasl put their championship game on cbs sports network which doesn't stream at all for the most part as we're talking about which is less accessible than the espn3 streams for uh the regular season other than the games that were on uh b in and well b in has you, you, you there are so many ways if you're a soccer fan that you can get b in and you can stream b in that it's really not an obstacle if you're motivated yeah. to have a little bit of loose cash uh, services like fubo services like sling yeah. uh, you don't have that with cbs sports network so there were uh, 15 regular season nasl games on cbs sports network but they were just these random games you get to the finals and you don't have the streaming component a yeah. uh, lot of complaints about that from fans and again um uh, these fans of U.S. lower leagues tend to, to, to um, tend to shift younger, more millennials. Uh, and if they're not millennials, they tend to be Gen Xers. They're into streaming. That's how they get games. And uh, there were a lot of complaints about it. And I watched the USL final on ESPNU on the, on the actual channel, but I missed the NASL final. So, and I, and I and I'd watched the regular season extensively of both leagues.
0: Yeah, similar to me, too. I, I missed the USL final. I, I do have ESPNU, but I think that particular Sunday, I think I was busy. Um, but then the, the NASL final, the championship final, uh, I couldn't watch. Uh, my, my, my cable provider, Comcast, locally here doesn't offer CBS Sports Network, um, and there is no streaming platform for CBS Sports Network. So the only way I was able to kind of watch it was just through some highlights posted on I think, Facebook or social media. Uh, it's a shame. It is a shame. But hopefully, maybe with this Google announcement, uh, maybe next year uh, with CBS uh, getting on board, um, maybe there's another option that g- at least gives us an option to watch it uh, legally um, without having to m- to miss it uh, completely. So, Karthik, let's move on to the next segment, which is TV ratings, looking back at this past week. Uh, one of the big things that came out uh, from the Premier League's uh, perspective in the U.S. is that TV viewership so far this season is down 19% uh, compared to last season at this time. Now, this, this definitely... I mean, we've seen this from the NFL. We talked about this last week in terms of some of the other sports leagues suffering kind of from the same uh, pro, uh, uh, situation. Also in the UK, too, Sky Sports is down. I think it's about down about 19 or 20%, too. Um, but to me, Kartik, do you think... W- w- what do you think this is due to? Do you think that there's anything to do with... Just the, the level of play so far this season,
1: and what we've seen. I think it's a couple of things. I think one, uh, we hit, we probably hit a um, a point of diminishing returns as far as uh, support for the Premier League in this country, in in the sense that. Uh, Leicester was a big story and it attracted a lot of folks, but that's not the way things are typically. And now we've got a return to form of the top sides. They all beefed up. It seems the league seems fairly predictable. Now I know people will argue with me. Oh, six or seven teams could win the title. Right. But it's going to be one of those six or seven teams. It's not any of the 20 teams in the league. I, I, I think that's, that's uh, exhibit a. I think ex- exhibit B. We see sports ratings declining because of, uh, of various factors, cord cutting, the election going on and this election seemed to captivate viewers, maybe not voters turnout was down, but the viewers more than more than anything else. And then I think C you've got, um, a situation where the the league itself, the games have been, there were one or two weekends of, of, uh, premier league action, premier league football that were very, very good. But I don't think the league is quite throwing up the, the, the level of excitement that it used to. And, uh, I, A lot of folks who didn't follow this league 10 years ago, when this website started 10, 11 years ago, don't remember the sort of exciting matches you'd even have uh, in mid-table games at that time, Bolton versus West Ham, a uh, uh, Spurs who were never a, a leading team then—they they are now—but they weren't a leading team then. Uh, a Spurs versus a Middlesbrough. How exciting those! A lot of those matches will turn out to be. Now it seems like um, you get games like that Crystal Palace Burnley game, but you mm-hmm. get those only every couple of weeks. There was one of those games every week. Remember Chris in the yeah. league at the time, and and I think that's a. a a big uh a big factor and then i i also think that um as you look at uh this this uh situation with uh with the premier league there just seems to be a um a malaise in soccer interest in this country partly because of the waning uh, fortunes of the u.s national team I, i don't think there's any question that uh and this is an unhealthy thing, I think, for a soccer culture where the national team is a driver of interest. Uh, in in most uh, mature football cultures, it is the club game. Now, the national team might attract casuals on the outside and get higher rates. That's what happens in England, right? But it is still – the club game is still not interdependent on the national team. Mm-hmm. I get this sense in the United States it's backwards and that the national team is the driver of everything. And the national team right now is at its lowest stage since – the 1980s. Adrian Healy, ESPN. The tweet from Adrian Healy the other night. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann said he wanted to take U.S. soccer into a, new era, uh, into a new era. He has the 1980s. That typified everything for me. That was uh, um, Healy had the autonomy to do that because ESPN wasn't broadcasting. Great. Right. right. Okay. So <laughs> but, uh, I think that describes it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, definitely. And we'll get more into that into uh, later in the broadcast when we talk about our featured topic of the week, which uh, does talk about kind of uh, some of the malaise and some of these declining numbers, but some of the reasons why and whether the U.S. national team uh, is a factor. Uh, Speaking of the U.S. uh, national team in terms of TV ratings, uh, the match, uh, the U.S.-Mexico match, uh, netted 5.3 million viewers uh, on Fox Sports 1 and Univision for that World Cup qualifier. Uh, Approximately, I think it was 4 million uh, on Univision, just a little bit more than 4 million, and then about 1.2 million on FS1. Uh, while some in social media have, have, have termed those numbers good, um, to me, they're disappointing, uh, just given that uh, they're 20% down from the CONCACAF Cup that we had just over a year ago. Um, having said that, though, too, the CONCACAF Cup uh, definitely had more build-up, um, a lot more kind of hype, and I mean a lot of people kind of really focusing on that game. Uh, and in some ways, to me, that the World Cup qualifier is a more important match, uh, but it didn't have the same hype as as one year ago.
1: Yeah, I think a couple of factors here. One, there was an incredible amount of hype about for that game. It didn't come right after an election. And then two, that game was on a Saturday night versus this game being on a Friday night. Yeah. And that had an impact. And it was a, a real late start time. Right? Wasn't it a 10, 10 p.m. start time? 9.30, nine 10? Uh, nine. 9. Yeah, 9, nine, nine. o'clock on
0: uh, – well, well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The U.S. game was at 8 o'clock. Uh, US no, Mexico. Uh, they
1: the, game, the la- game last year.
0: Oh, last year. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah you're like right. Yeah, it was like a 10, p.m. 10 p.m. Yeah, exactly. It Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true, which makes a big difference. And uh, yeah, that's a good point. Friday versus Saturday. It, there is a big difference there. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Costa Rica against uh, United States. Uh, there was uh, 241,000 people who tuned in to watch that match on BN Sports. Uh, the number of uh, viewers for the Spanish language broadcast of that game, which was on, on uh, NBC Universo, uh, it's not available right now, but uh, as soon at, at the time that we record this, but as soon as we get those numbers, we'll post those on our weekly soccer TV ratings article um, on worldsoccertalk.com. dot com. On a more positive note, uh, the number of people who tuned in to watch Brazil against Argentina on BN Sports and BN Sports and Espanol uh, last Thursday it was uh, 700, over seven hundred seventy five thousand people, which for BN Sports that is. That is incredible that's a that's a fantastic number for um, for a, a big match on their network
1: yeah that's a stunning number I, I, um, I I'm actually it's Brazil Argentina right we know that right. but I'm actually still floored by that number given the distribution numbers for VN and and uh, between VN sports English or main main Street mainline VN sports and VN sports and Espanol that's still subscriber numbers combined if you if you take the overlap of, of one over the other, is still only about 30 million. That's a, that's a huge number when you think about it. I'm not sure how that translates to actual point ratings, but I think it would be pretty high given the, the low distribution of BN.
0: Yeah, and it also goes to show too, I think to me at least, um, if people are really wanting to watch a match like Brazil against Argentina or uh, Costa Rica against USA, there's so many ways to watch BN sports, whether it is through your cable or whether it is through streaming, that if you really want to watch the match, you will look ahead, Google it, whatever, go to worldsoccertalk.com, our schedules, find out all the possible possibilities of watching that match, which for the USA-Costa uh, Rica game, there was just so many people on social media uh, complaining, ah, it's, this game's not on ESPN, why is that? Like, I, I can't find it. There are so many options to watch be in sports that, to me at least, uh, soccer fans shouldn't use that as an, as an excuse. If they really want to watch that game, just do some preparation ahead of time, and there's there's tons of different ways you can watch that match legally, uh, and oftentimes for free, with free trials, etc. So, Karthik, let's move on to uh, our next segment, which is read a mailbag. Uh, I'll I'll read the first one, and, and uh, this one's from Ian Jett, one of our uh, loyal uh, listeners, and uh, he posted this on, on Twitter. He said, I would love to get your thoughts on the possibility of having NBC Sports Soccer's um, online shows to be shown on NBC, SN in the future, and uh, he's probably talking about the Premier League news one, uh, the fantasy uh, Premier League show.
1: No, oh, and even the, um, the there are uh, interview shows and in Premier League download uh, portions and shows that that are not uh, that are that are NBC Sports Live Extra exclusives. And I'm not sure if it's Premier League download, but they have a couple. They have a couple of original show, original things they do yeah. that are exclusive to uh, NBC Sports Live Extra, and we don't get to see on the network. We see little uh, snippets here and there, and that's um, that's a very good question because I uh, I'm annoyed by that personally.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. I think I think I mean they're they're pushing NBC Sports Live um, uh, pretty hard in terms of just trying to get people more to watch the coverage. Uh, online and digital um, versus television. So I, I think they see the direction that things are going and just trying to get more and more content on the digital side, on on the the website or apps, however you however you view it. Um, but it's a shame. It is a shame sometimes that, that some of some of that uh, digital coverage isn't shown on television because it, it'd be great. I mean, the the fantasy Premier League show with James Richardson. It'd be great to be able to actually watch that um, on TV. The one thing I've found is that sometimes the the timing of the uploads of of that content on onto the websites and onto digital is inconsistent. So, so for, for example, the Premier League, the Fantasy Premier League show, I think it records on Thursday. So basically, um, from the Premier League point of view, it's done and in the can on on Thursday. But oftentimes, it's uploaded to the, the to the NBC Sports website um, or on the apps. Uh, sometimes Thursday afternoon, sometimes Friday morning, sometimes Friday evening. It's just inconsistent. So for me, if I knew it, it, was, it was going to be on television every, I don't know, say Thursday night at 9 o'clock on NBCSN or whatever, whatever time it is on, I'm more likely to actually watch that on a, on a regular basis rather than haphazard upload times and just trying to find out when, when it's actually been added. So, Karthik, uh, next question. And I, I'm going to give this one to you because this, one, this one's a good one. Um, this one's from a, a reader, uh, a listener. You sent it in through email. His name is uh, Clinton Cam. And he says, uh, with expansion of MLS, my question is, uh, will MLS have to increase uh, the number of games played per season for each team from 34 to potentially 38 or as much as 40, 46 or more? And how will this impact TV coverage?
1: It's a very good question, Clinton. I, I'm not quite sure because I'm an advocate of MLS just breaking their conferences off and playing within the conference. I have been told that that affects ticket sales and interest in places like Los Angeles, where you have to have a team from New York come in, or in New York, where you need to have these cross-sectional lo- rivalries with Los Angeles. Uh, here in Orlando, where uh, you get a game with the Galaxy one year, you get a game with Seattle the next at home, uh, but they've already gone to a system where you play the teams in your conference two or three times a season and you only play the teams outside your conference once and you travel to, to those places once every two years. I, the U.S. is a big country. I know a lot of people want to see scheduling done like uh, it is in the U.K. or in England or Spain or Germany with this balanced schedule. I, don't, I just don't think that's realistic. I've never thought that was realistic in the United States. I reject that completely. I think regional play is important. What we found with television ratings for MLS – now, this is where it comes into – because everything MLS does now is based on television. Mm-hmm. The television ratings for games involving Los Angeles teams playing New York teams are not necessarily higher. The television ratings for games involving teams in big markets aren't necessarily higher. I think the lowest uh, national TV game of the year, or at least before uh, the uh, American football season started, was a game between Philadelphia and Chicago, two of the five largest media markets in the country. Uh, we see low ratings for San Jose games. That's in one of the largest media markets in the country all the time. And low ratings for D.C. United games, which is in a pretty large TV market. At the same time, we see very high ratings, relatively speaking, for Portland games and especially for Seattle games. So um, the answer is I don't No, but I think if you look at television and you assume that means that New York has to play Los Angeles – and uh, Chicago has to play Philadelphia or Chicago's in the East, but Chicago has to play uh, a San, uh, San Jose team. Uh, I don't think it necessarily works out that way. I think uh, what we're finding with television and MLS is that people are interested in MLS in clusters in markets and MLS is doing better in markets, which are second tier markets, uh, the uh, Salt Lake cities, the Kansas cities, Portland, Orlando, those sorts of places, not in your top 10 TV markets in the country. Now, that having been said, Atlanta United coming in with the splasher coming in with could be a game changer. What we found for sports teams in the Atlanta television market is even if their attendance isn't very high, the television ratings on local television for the Braves, the Hawks, uh, uh, previously for the Atlanta Thrashers, although they they moved in NHL, particularly for the Braves. That's a that's mm-hmm. the. Uh, the major example higher than almost all the mlb teams in their local markets if that happens with atlanta united which all indications are it will it's a big deal the launch of that team that could be a game changer that is a top 10 tv market that is a place where mls has to have a footprint and that could dictate their television strategy it's hard to believe i'm saying this about one club one club could dictate their television strategy going forward because that could be a major breakthrough club for them
0: yeah, I I think one of the things I mean going back to the Clinton's question too is the kind of I mean, if you do have forty six plus games uh for each team a season, I, I think most of those games then you're gonna be on MLS Live on Saturdays, uh, which there's very little national te- television co- coverage unless you have the MLS Live um streaming platform unless you subscribe to that or you have MLS direct kick on, on your satellite side of things. Um because ultimately, I think, I think it's still going to be that Fox FS1 is probably going to show their one featured match or, or sometimes two on Sundays. Same thing with ESPN, same thing with uh, Univision on their Friday nights. So even the, the number of uh, teams in the league is going to increase. Uh, I think they're just going to be pickier about which which of those matches are the ones that they'll highlight on the Sundays. Um, this will probably be a topic for another week, but I, th- I think MLS needs a complete rethink on the whole TV side. Um, other than the national games on, on, kind of on your over-the-air Fox network, uh, the numbers are poor. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that's just really frustrating, especially with all the DPs. Um, yes, the level of players increased, but the TV ratings, for the most part, are still pretty much either flatline or only increasing slightly, and it's still got a long way to go.
1: Yeah, and and I think one of the things that we'll have to talk about, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, is how much uh, has MLS's investment in U.S. men's national team players as DPs, how much has that moved the needle? It doesn't seem like it has at all. And in fact, I would argue at this point, MLS is more dependent for its quality on foreign players than it ever has been before. So if you're signing a lot of good foreign players who are improving the level of play, do you then have to change that strategy to signing foreign players who are going to help move TV ratings rather than the Mauro Diaz's and the Luciano Acostas and these? Really good, skillful Argentine players, but players that aren't going to move the needle. That's uh, that's a, that's a topic for another time. Though. Yeah, definitely, that, that'll be a great one to get
0: into. And then uh, the last uh, part of the reader mailbag. Actually, can't Let me let me have you read this. You, you got a uh, yeah a
1: From At One Sherman, and and, uh, we thank you for listening. Just listened to the first pod. This was last week. and love the new angle focusing on TV in the U.S. I listen to a lot of football podcasts, uh, including ESPN FC, Football Weekly, which is from The Guardian, by the way, Five Live Football Daily, which is from BBC, uh, BBC Sport, Uh, La Liga Weekly, The Game, uh, which is from the Times, uh, Times of London, shoot the defense, etc. The list goes on and on, and I've been involved in the game as a player, college coach, and recruiter for over 30 years, and I don't think any of them would have given us such an angle. Thank you for that. I have many views on TV in America and how, and now we'll be following you all consistently. Where is the best place to send messages? And that is at web at worldsoccertalk.com. And then at, via Twitter, you can tweet me at KKFLA737, or you can tweet at WSoccer talk for World Soccer Talk. Um, so uh, we, enjoy, we enjoy your patronage. Thank you, uh, At One Sherman, and keep listening. And any time you, you, you want to uh, say something, just reach out to us, and, and we're going to be happy to uh, answer those questions and, and read it on air.
0: Absolutely. And, and it could be, too, almost like how-to questions. If, if you're struggling with trying to figure out how to get Fox Sports 2 added to your area or you're just trying to watch certain types of leagues, so whether J League, K League, A League, you name, you name it, whatever you watch, it doesn't have to be Premier League-focused. It could be any league uh, around the world. Just let us know, and we'll uh, ask you questions on air and, and do our best to answer them. So, Kartik, our featured topic of the week. This one uh, should be an interesting one. I want to kind of just start off by saying and, and kind of get your perspective on this. But my, it's almost... I, I feel that we've hit a plateau with the growth of soccer in the United States. It seems to be stagnating. And, and what I'm saying is that, yes, we're all soccer fans... We're all hardcore soccer fans, those, that, those of us that are listening to this show. But the TV, new, uh, TV viewing numbers are dropping. Like we said, uh, sometimes 20%, sometimes even greater than that. Uh, so too are the su- subscriber numbers for many of the sports TV networks. Uh, we're seeing uh, ESPN losing in, in the millions of subscribers. Uh, at the same time, attendance numbers are plummeting in the United States for the, the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team and i'm just wondering could interest in general be kind of flatlining across the board um, except at the youth levels where you mean know, the game is still a a booming participant sport but i'm just wondering whether or not we're we've reached a plateau and if, if we're in a bi- basically a kind of an area of stagnation or not
1: Yeah, I think first off, the U.S. women's national team, there's a big CBA thing. We don't want to get into it too deep here, but their friendlies attracted more fans on average this year than the U.S. men's national team friendlies. So that's just – that's point one. There's a decline in interest in the U.S. men's national team in television ratings, in attendance. There seems to be fatalism that's crept into the fan base. And then there seems to be also, I think, a situation where you've got um, – a a certain degree of burnout because we need a break from, from soccer. I, I even did this. Uh, I was on a political campaign at the time, but I just burnt out completely, and I, and I worked for an NASL team as well. So uh, at the end of the Euros, I took a, a long break and didn't reemerge until the first week of the Premier League season. But in between that, which is still closed season in Europe, you have the ICC, you have all these other kind of cup, cup events going on, you have the ongoing NASL season, you have the ongoing USL season, you have MLS going on, you have um, uh, international friendlies outside of uh, international dates. Mexico does a lot of that. So I think there's just a a sense of burnout now from a lot of the audience. I think there's also what's becoming an even more unbridgeable divide between uh, fans of I don't even want to call them fans of European football because I don't really think they're fans of anything, but they're critics of the American system, and they're creating a uh, situation where they're spewing a lot of negativity, a lot of anger. Uh, They they tend to support uh, anyone who is anti-establishment. So they are creating a poisonous atmosphere in the fan base to where a lot of people are jaded and just just are getting tired of it. Um, Now, as far as the... Um international game driving we, – we touched on this earlier, uh, Chris. This is so important. The international game, uh, the U.S. men's national team being the big driver of interest in the sport in this country versus well, – with the U.S. women's national team, one of those two, the, the national teams – being the big driver of interest in the sport in this country versus the club game. And you have hardcore fans who tell me they entered hardcore fandom through the U.S. men's national team and that they're more committed to their American Outlaws chapter locally than they are to the supporter group of their local uh, club team, local professional or semi-professional club team. It, to me, its I don't want to say it's alarming. That's a bit too strong of a word, but it's, it's backwards. And unfortunately, what we have had is – more or less, the United States men's national team on a on a steady upward uh, swing since 1990. Through there was a dip in 98 in the World Cup. It came right out in 99 and did very well in the Confederations Cup. 2002 World Cup. Uh, 2006 didn't do as well, but there was just growing interest in, and and uh, the team even around World Cups was doing well, doing well in qualifying. So there was there's been this upward upward um, trajectory of the U.S. men's national team, for all intents and purposes. Some dips here and there, but more or less an upward trajectory for 25 years, from 1990 to 2015, that all of a sudden stopped in 2015, really late 2014. We began to see the warning signs and friendlies in late 2014, uh, and, and has now hit a decline, and a pretty rapid decline in terms of results, in terms of uh, fan interest, in terms of, uh, of just the general vibe around uh, the national team, and since the national team, which plays uh, eight to ten competitive matches a year in an average year, is the driver of interest for a sport where it's uh, it's 365, 52 weeks a game, uh, year, seven days a week, which is largely club-driven and mm-hmm. should be driven by the club game. I think it's creating a, a, a backwards effect, and it's hurting the sport at this point.
0: Yeah, and I think it's not just uh, U.S. soccer. So, 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 for example, in terms of the performance of the U.S. national team, and you're right, from the 1990 World Cup all the way through, uh, yes, there were some blips along the way. Steve Sampson has won. But, but for the most part, it's been an upward tra- trajectory. It's been a positive story in terms of uh, just increasing and getting better and better and uh, fan base growing. But it does have an impact even on whether it's the Premier League or La Liga or wh- whichever league you follow is... In terms of just creating new fans, oftentimes the biggest bumps in numbers that you see are after World Cups or after big tournaments. Uh, Copa America uh, would have been one too. Is that if the US team does very well, usually the Premier League numbers uh, increase because people are watching those games. They're mainstream soccer fans or mainstream sports fans, They're not into soccer yet. They watch the US play, they are just enthused. The whole family's watching it. Fantastic stuff. And then they, it's it's conditioning. Then, then they start watching on weekends. They start watching whether it's on early mornings on Saturdays or mid-afternoon for La Liga or evenings for MLS games. But it gets them into the sport. So when the U.S. national team is doing as poor as they are now, uh, it has a negative impact on, on TV, on, on soccer in general. And watching that U.S.-Costa Rica match uh, the other night, it was depressing it was absolutely abysmal i'm watching the u.s play and i'm counting the number of completed passes they were making on average it was either one or two they would lose a ball sometimes maybe four complete passes but then they'd lose the ball in terms of just possession i mean absolutely dreadful i've seen better play on on youth level in terms of uh knowing how to uh, possess the ball and you maintain possession and just tactically shape formations etc um That performance was depressing. And if I'm a mainstream sports fan or, say, kind of a a casual soccer fan, after that, watching the U.S. play that poorly, and it's not just that game. It's been going on for a long time. I'm probably a little bit less interested in watching because I don't want to go through that same pain of watching uh, an embarrassing performance. And that's the thing about the U.S. I mean, a lot of Americans, most Americans love winners. They love a positive story. They love to see... uh, teams and players trying their hardest, fighting for whether it's the flag or, or the crest of, of their team. But watching the U.S. play, it's depressing, it's abysmal, and I I think it is having a negative impact on, on the growth of soccer in the United States. And that should be warning signs for USSF. That should be warning signs for Sunil Gulati in terms of some of the implications of, of, of that, This poor performances.
1: Yeah. No, I agree, and, and I think... What we're also finding is that historically, if fans watch the – the national team and they get hooked they have three months or two months or something between the next national team international date and then that's what drives them into the premier league and this would have been perfect if the u.s had played well in these two games with the uh with no u.s competitive games till march and the per- the christmas period in the premier league it really could have driven nbc's ratings even though nbc doesn't have the national team rights they're kind of interdependent or codependent on how the national team does and instead, we're talking about declining Premier League ratings, and they might continue to decline.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, plus even the other leagues too. I mean, look at this weekend. You've got the the Madrid derby. You've got uh, Dortmund against Bayern. You've got um, I think Porto is playing a big match this weekend. Um, and then you've got Arsenal against Man United. I mean, there's a lot of big matches from around the world. That some, if someone was like really enthused by watching the US team and saw them put in maybe a decent performance against uh, Costa Rica and kind of really was fighting for it. And not just that game. This is going on for games and games, months and months, if not years, in terms of uh, this really worse and worse performances. Um, it could be, it's, it's having a damaging impact. And the attendances, I mean, having less... Not one U.S. men's national team at, uh, attendance in 2016 for a friendly was more than 10,000 supporters. In a in a country the size of the United
1: States, I mean that that's that, that's horrible. I, I, that's no, well, that, but but again, so here's the thing: we also are exposed to so much football and know so much about this sport that we we now have a cont- context around friendlies. They're meaningless yeah. friendlies. Yeah. The game in in DC between uh, New Zealand and uh, and the United States last month, there were probably more media there than fans, honestly. And fans took a very uh, It's a friendly, it's New Zealand, the tickets are expensive. This is another thing. The Federation's made the tickets more expensive. Uh, Why do we need to go to this? Why why, why do we need to – DC United was still alive in the playoffs at the time. They were playing very well in MLS at the time. Why why do we need to uh, uh, – this this happened with Copa America, too, by the way, the, the ticket prices, mm-hmm. which, which had been set. So th- that's another driver is that the ticket prices have not the ticket prices have eclipsed the interest. And that's something U.S. soccer has to think about uh, long term, especially considering the amount of money they get on the other end from the growth of the sport. Unless they have they have marketing people who have more data, more information than we do, Chris. Maybe they've got, gotten to the point where their marketing people are telling them, OK, the growth has kind of hit a, a wall. You're not going to continue to grow the game by keeping ticket prices lower and then uh, hoping that those people engage as fans on, the, on another end and are watching uh, soccer, uh, soccer, club soccer on television and buying merchandise, et cetera. So let's make the ticket prices higher.
0: right
1: Right. I don't know but that's a problem. The ticket prices are a big part of the problem. and I've I pointed that DC example, Washington example because I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I think that's probably happened at all the friendlies this year, something very similar.
0: Yeah, you, you look at declining attendances, declining uh, TV ratings for uh, a lot of these uh, US games, and uh, it just feels that USSF is really kind of trying to milk uh, the, the the supporters. I mean, just basically raising ticket prices, just trying to make as much money as possible, um, and then the performances have been weak, have been poor. So at this point, I mean, to me, it's almost as if um, from the business side of things, you look at the ad sponsors, I wouldn't think that they're too enthused in terms of the way that the U.S. is playing. So that's a negative. You look at the, from the TV side of things, um, I'm sure ESPN and, and Fox are probably looking at these performances and putting some some pressure on uh, Sunil and saying like, hey, this is, you know, we're trying to market the U.S. Uh, national team and soccer in this country and these performances are poor. And um, you even look at MLS. I mean, I'm sure Don Garber's probably looking at this going like, uh, Sunil, this is this is making MLS look bad in terms of all these players and the poor performances that that are happening on the pitch. You just wonder how much pressure then Sunil is going to put on Klinsman and whether Sunil is going to make a decision, not so much on playing form, which should be, but also on the business side of things.
1: Yeah, uh, again, I think... And I've said this consistently for a couple months now and reiterated it in the wake of the Mexico game, in the wake of the Costa Rica game. I think the the surest way, if you're a U.S. soccer fan and you're furious about Klinsman and it seems like 70 to 80 percent of the fan base is and you want to see him released from his contract, you want to see him removed as the manager and technical director of the national team, stop buying tickets. Stop watching the games. Yeah. That's the only – that seems to the only thing U.S. soccer is interested in, much like the FA in England. It's not – I get – you get all the, the malcontents, the people I talk about who poisoned the well in this country. They act as if the USSF is some exceptionally corrupt or greedy organization in the world of football. If anything, they're just indicative of all the federations around the world. Uh, just look at the English FA. They, they, they are um, – it took uh, it took some doing to finally get them to move a game out of Wembley and to move a game uh, to the north, a friendly in September, because they, uh, they they are so dependent on that revenue, that ticket revenue, to pay off Wembley, and just also I think just quite gre- frankly greed that um, they um, they're doing something they, they do things similar. And 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 a topic for another show could be the whole Team England concept now that they're pushing uh, the English FA. Uh, to, to fans of the England national team that are separate from uh, fans of Premier League and championship clubs and how that might be, that might create a situation in that country similar to what we have going on here where the national team then becomes the driver of football interest. And then when the national team goes into the tank, as it often does in England, uh, how does that affect the game as a whole? So that's, that's, a, that's a whole other topic for another day, but I see some parallels there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Some, some similarities for sure. All right, Karthik, so that's all the time we have for this show. This is episode two of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed this discussion. It's been a little bit depressing on the U.S. side, but, but I think it's it's important to point these things out because uh, in order for um, soccer, not just uh, U.S. national team, but also soccer to grow in this country, uh, I think there needs to be more accountability, and uh, hopefully USSF uh, is going to pay attention to all the feedback in terms of the uh, the lower TV ratings, the lower attendances, And, uh, I mean, gosh, that's another topic for another time in terms of just the player ability, like the the players at the disposal of uh, Klinsman, whether he's doing the best job with what he has uh, or not. He's definitely made mistakes for sure. But definitely interesting topics. If you guys listening here have any questions, any feedback, if you agree with us, disagree with us, uh, again, if you have any questions about uh, streaming or watching um, games on television, uh, just send us an email. Send us an email it's, uh, to web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, the Twitter address is wsoccertalk. And also you can find us on Facebook and post your questions there too at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. it. over to you. Enjoy your football.